Welcome to Leading from Behind, the podcast series about the practice of solution-focused therapy, produced by the Halifax Brief Therapy Center. I'm Barry McClatchy, and this is episode number 12, End of Session Feedback, Part 2. Well, thank you for joining me once again here on Leading from Behind. I'd also like to begin by apologizing for the delay with this episode, and we hope to be back to our usual schedule from here on in. Now, in this episode, we'll complete our examination of -of end-of-session feedback by looking at our ongoing case example. We'll look at the specific message that we might give to our client, Rachel, at the conclusion of the first session. Once again, in our resource segment, I'll identify several books that might be of interest to solution-focused practitioners. This time, I'll highlight two books about the practice of solution-focused therapy in group settings. So, once again, thank you for joining me, and I hope you'll find this episode useful in your understanding of solution-focused therapy. As we discussed in Episode 11, the end-of-session message is a key element of solution-focused therapy. During the main part of the session, the solution-focused therapist asks many questions in adopting a position of curiosity and leading from behind. Our efforts to highlight the client's strengths, skills, and resiliency during the main part of the session are mostly embedded in our questions and formulations rather than made explicit during the conversation. The end-of-session message, on the other hand, is an opportunity to more directly influence clients toward their best hopes. Our compliments are very specific and direct. We also choose to explicitly normalize and validate the client's experience, position, or worldview. And by highlighting and summarizing what seems important to the client, we want to maximize the possibility that the client feels heard and understood. So again, the message is a very important part of the session. As a result, it's useful to see the construction and delivery of feedback as a skill, one that requires practice, observation, and repetition over time. So let's go back then to our ongoing case example and look at the end-of-session message that we might give to our client, Rachel. Now, to begin this process, it can be useful to first think in a very general way about what stands out from the conversation with her. In Rachel's case, it most certainly stands out that she is someone who is typically very capable and competent. Prior to the problems that entered her life several months ago, it seems evident that she had a very strong relationship, maintained a very healthy lifestyle, and was a strong performer in her workplace. It's also clear that these areas of her life are very important to her. While it would be easy to say that about anyone, it still stands out that Rachel has been very intentional in being successful in her relationship, her health, and her work. She takes these areas of her life seriously and works hard at each. And then suddenly, a series of events unfolded that quite understandably took a toll on her well-being. She suffered a miscarriage, which on its own would have the potential to knock anyone around. Then she experienced some additional health problems that were both painful, debilitating, and frustrating. These difficulties caused her to miss a period of time at work. As well, her health problems prevented her from engaging in some very well-established routines that characterized what sounded like a very healthy lifestyle. In addition, Rachel suffered a real setback at work, a place that was previously a source of pride and accomplishment. 
She lost some key job responsibilities while she was away, and even though several months have passed, these have not been returned to her. Understandably, she feels angry and frustrated about this. Thirdly, Rachel's relationship with her partner Alex has clearly suffered during the past three months, although thankfully she has identified some key improvements as part of pre-session change. Rachel also acknowledged that these struggles had a very clear negative impact on her mood and sense of well-being. She talked about how she gained weight and had very little energy. She also noted feeling angry and often impatient, particularly with Alex. Despite all of this, though, it still stands out that Rachel has made continued efforts to regain her sense of well-being. It also stands out that in the discussion of her preferred future, Rachel has some very clear and achievable ideas about what it looks like and sounds like when she has achieved her best hopes. In other words, getting back to where she was three months ago. She knows what she'll be doing when she has reclaimed her healthy lifestyle. She knows what both her and Alex will be doing or doing more of when their relationship is back on solid ground. And she knows what she'll be doing when she's performing at work in the way that she's been accustomed. More significant, she has already made some progress in the direction of these best hopes. As mentioned, recently she's had a very useful conversation with her partner Alex. This appears to have helped considerably as she identified quite a number of improvements in their relationship. They're spending more time together, talking more, and Alex seems to be recommitted to their plan of getting pregnant again. And even though Rachel hasn't been able to get back to some of her well-established routines, she has made several efforts to exercise and eat better. So these are some of the things that stand out from the conversation with Rachel. Let's take a look then at the specific components of the message that I'll deliver to her. Now, as noted in the last episode, we like to think of the message as having four components. Compliments, validation, restatement of what's important to the client, and finally, what's next, a suggestion or encouragement of some kind, and possibly an invitation to return. Now, let's first examine some compliments for Rachel. As previously noted, we want to choose only a few, but ones that will hopefully resonate with her. We also want to choose something that might be important for her to hear today. And finally, it should reflect a process trait reflected by her actions, rather than simply a character trait. So, there are two compliments I've chosen to give to Rachel. The first concerns how she has managed over the last few months in the face of the problems that have appeared in her life. It seems evident that Rachel is someone who is typically very strong and purposeful when faced with a challenge. And, historically, she's accustomed to being successful when she puts her mind to something. It's probably safe to say, as a result, that she has high expectations of herself. Now, because these particular challenges that she's faced have been so daunting, it seems that Rachel feels like she hasn't met her own standards. Or, put another way, she hasn't coped or managed as well as she believes she should have. So, here is how I express this compliment to Rachel as I begin to deliver the message. I'd like to begin, Rachel, by saying something that you might not even agree with. I have to say that it is certainly impressive how you have managed in the face of some significant setbacks in a number of areas of your life that are clearly very important to you. And I want to say this because despite the loss of the pregnancy and then your physical health, the loss of respect and regard at work, and then the subsequent struggles in your relationship with Alex, it's certainly clear that you've been doing the best you can in the best way you know how in some very difficult circumstances. Now, in particular, 
I really like how you've been able to invite Alex back into the relationship in a more helpful way. It's obvious that you were able to get his attention, and some good things have already begun to happen that will get both of you back to where you were three months ago. And even though you haven't yet had the success that you want, you've still managed to even make the effort to do even just a little of some of the lifestyle things that experience tells you will certainly make a difference in time. These efforts are certainly impressive, uh, Rachel, by any standard, since this perfect storm of challenges that very quickly entered your life would have been very hard for anyone to stand up to. Now, as you heard, I prefaced the comment with the phrase, you might not agree with this. This was quite intentional in acknowledging that it might be hard for that high expectations part of her to accept a compliment about her efforts. Nevertheless, I think this compliment is something she needs to hear, that she has done her best, that she has worked hard, and, given the scope and nature of the challenges she has faced, that her efforts have been quite impressive. The second compliment for Rachel concerns her good ideas about what she wants instead of the problems that have pushed her around. And I want to connect these good ideas she has to some very clear strengths and skills that stood out from our conversation. Secondly, I really have to compliment you on your very good and clear ideas about what your life looks like and what you'll be doing when you've regained the ground that you held several months ago. This, I think, is evidence of your knowledge, your experience, and competence, because you you know what it means to be physically healthy through the exercise routines and eating habits you described, and you know what a healthy relationship with Alex looks like and sounds like. And despite your good reasons for being angry and frustrated at work, you certainly know what it looks like when you're at your best in the workplace. Now, the next segment of the message is focused on validating, acknowledging, and even normalizing the impact of the problems that Rachel has faced. As mentioned in the previous episode, this is sometimes the most powerful element of the feedback. As human beings, sometimes the most important thing for us to know is that our struggles are understandable and that we're not, uh, for lack of a better phrase, going crazy. So with Rachel, I really want to reassure her that her struggles make sense. And I want to join her in moving away from the idea that there is something pathologically wrong with her, that she's suffering from depression, an adjustment disorder, or experiencing complicated grief arising from the miscarriage. So, in particular, I want to normalize the impact of the problems that brought her through the door. I also want to highlight the unique nature and elements of these problems and underline how they would undoubtedly get the best of anyone. At the same time, Rachel, it is certainly understandable that you have struggled over the last few months and really lost your sense of well-being. As I mentioned a moment ago, you suffered some setbacks in some areas of life that are extremely important to you. Having a child, maintaining a healthy lifestyle, your job, and of course, your relationship with Alex. Difficulties with just one of these important areas of life would have been challenging for anyone. But you experience losses and difficulties in these four different areas in a very, very short period of time. So I think it certainly makes sense that anyone in your shoes would have struggled. In fact, my guess is that many people wouldn't have been able to stand up to these challenges to the extent that you have. The third part of the message is a restatement of what's important to Rachel. It's here that I can once again acknowledge what her best hope is and her ideas about what will be happening when these best hopes have been realized. It's also an opportunity to take a bit of an expert position on the idea of progress. 
I want to very intentionally encourage her to move slowly towards what she wants and to approach things in small steps rather than large ones. This is important for several reasons. First, this is how change tends to happen anyway, slowly and incrementally. Second, in Rachel's particular case, it's a way of inviting her to be realistic in her expectations of herself. So here is how I express this next part of the feedback. So right now, what stands out as being most important to you is to build some momentum in getting back to where you were several months ago. For you, this means getting up on time in the morning, getting back to the kind of eating habits that you know will make a difference for you, and getting back into the kind of exercise routine that's worked for you in the past. It also means continuing to strengthen your relationship with Alex in the ways you've described, and getting back to your mutual plan for starting a family. And last, but certainly not least, it means being able to make some progress in your work life, so that you can get back to feeling good about what you do and the contributions you make. And of course, as you know from experience, getting back to where you want is not going to be easy and will require some continued effort on your part. But it certainly makes sense, especially given what you've gone through, that it will likely happen in small steps rather than big ones. This isn't easy, of course, for someone like you who has some pretty high expectations for herself. But your history clearly tells you that when you put your mind to something, you're successful in the end. Now, the final piece of the message is a suggestion, as well as, in this case, an invitation to return at some future time. Now, the subject of between-session tasks will be the focus of our next episode, so I won't say much at all about the rationale for the suggestion given to Rachel. It should suffice to say, though, that I want to give her a noticing task, and it's a fairly standard or common one in solution-focused practice. What's notable, though, is that the suggestion, while giving some examples of what she might want to notice or pay attention to, doesn't in any way involve an assumption that she has to do something in particular. This is in keeping with the notion of leading from behind. I'm assuming that Rachel has heard the sound of her own voice during our conversation and will make her own decision about what she might begin to do, do more of, or do differently as a result. So instead, my suggestion simply presupposes that she'll be doing things that make a difference or are part of her preferred future. So here is the concluding part of the end-of-session message. So, Rachel, in the days ahead, I'd like to make one suggestion as a means of continuing the momentum that you've already achieved. Each day, I'd like to encourage you to pay very close attention to the times when parts of this miracle we've discussed already happen, even if it's just a little bit. So, for example, when you do some small part of the healthy routines of the past, or when your relationship with Alex seems to be on track in the way that the two of you have discussed. And even though there are things at work that may be outside of your control right now, I want to encourage you to keep your eyes open for the times when work seems better, even just a little bit, in the ways that you've described today. And as you pay attention to these moments, I want to encourage you again, Rachel, to notice what's different about these times and what you did that helped these moments to occur, and of course, the difference they make to you. So finally, I certainly would like to invite you to call again for another appointment at some point in the future if you think it would be helpful to do so. Now, as you heard, I've extended a very soft and broad invitation for Rachel to return for a follow-up session, if or when she thinks it might be helpful to do so. This is in keeping with a number of core assumptions and beliefs that support solution-focused practice. 
First, we look at each session as being potentially the last one. So this is in keeping with that idea. Solution-focused therapy is not structured as a so-called course of treatment like most approaches. Secondly, it reflects the belief that Rachel has expertise about her own life, and as such will know best whether a further visit is necessary. Finally, it underscores the notions that change is constant and inevitable and that small change leads to larger change. I hold the belief that Rachel will continue to create useful change that may make the idea of a further session redundant. So, in closing our discussion of -of end-of-session feedback, I'd like to reiterate a few final points. First, it can take time and practice to develop one's skill in constructing useful feedback. Second, the delivery of the message is important. We want to be clear and deliberate in its presentation. A very engaging client will sometimes want to create more conversation in the midst of the message, so it's important to retake the floor, so to speak, to keep the focus on the delivery of the feedback. In the end, the client's reaction and response to the feedback will tell you a great deal about whether or not you're on the right track. Ideally, we want clients to feel that we got it right, that we understand them, and that we heard what was important to them. And most of all, we want our clients to walk out of the therapeutic environment feeling better and more hopeful and energized than when they walked in the door. One of the very useful aspects of solution-focused practice is its adaptability to a variety of helping environments. In this, the resource segment of the podcast, I'm going to identify two books that examine how the approach can be used in group settings. Now, if you're interested in finding out more about either book, you can simply follow the links in the show notes for this episode on the podcast page of our website at hbtc.ca. So the first book is Solution-Focused Group Work by John Sherry. Published in 2007, this book offers a detailed and practical look at how the solution-focused approach can be used in therapeutic group settings. It's easy to read and gives lots of clear examples of how the approach is used in creating an effective solution-focused group program. The second book is Solution-Focused Group Therapy, Ideas for Groups in Private Practice, Schools, Agencies, and Treatment Programs. It was written by Linda Metcalf and was published also in 2007. Covering similar ground, this book also does a nice job of articulating the solution-focused approach and how to apply it to a variety of different group settings. It also provides examples of how the solution-focused approach can be used in groups devoted to specific kinds of problems or concerns, such as parenting, depression and anxiety, and survivors of sexual abuse. These books are two of the more notable ones devoted to solution-focused practice with groups, but it's worth noting that a web search will reveal a number of other more recent ones that are quite specific to group process with children and youth, especially within school settings. So we've reached the end of this episode, and I'd like to thank you once again for joining me. In episode 13, coming up in two weeks, I'm going to talk about the use of between-session tasks in solution-focused therapy. This subject is worth talking about on its own, as there can be some debate about the usefulness of tasks in solution-focused practice, given our non-expert stance and desire to lead from behind. Now, during this discussion, I'll be looking at the different types of tasks or suggestions that we might make that are consistent with solution-focused therapy. 
Now, if this episode has been useful for you or you have comments or questions for us, please feel free to leave a comment on the podcast page of our website at hbtc.ca or simply send us an email to feedback at hbtc.ca. Just as a reminder, once again, new episodes of Leading From Behind are available on or about the 15th and 30th of each month. You can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes and have it delivered to your computer, tablet, or mobile device. You can also find us in the iTunes store in the training subsection of the Education Podcasts. So finally, our thanks to Dano at danosongs.com, provider of royalty-free music used under Creative Commons license. So you've been listening to Episode 12 of Leading From Behind, the Solution-Focused Therapy Podcast. I'm Barry McClatchy from the Halifax Brief Therapy Centre. I hope you'll join us again.